Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good to see you guys. All right. Everybody uh, wave at me a little bit. You doing good today? You awake, alive, doing well? Get some coffee, get some donuts? Yes, come on. I'm trying to quit donuts. I just say, I keep saying, you know, tomorrow I quit. Tomorrow I quit, right? It's, you know how I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to eat some donuts after service today. Well, you guys, we're so honored today to have some special guests with us from all the way from Canada. Is that how you say it? Is that correct? Canada. Oh, okay. That's how you say it. Uh, it's our hat, right? It's, the, it's this amazing country right above us. No, I'm kidding. But we've got our friends from Launch Interns. So if all the interns that are in the building could wave at us here today, they're visiting us. All right. Yeah. They were leading us in worship today and uh, just awesome, awesome stuff. Um, and yesterday, the Launch Interns and a bunch of us from Joy Church, we went out and passed out door hangers. Anybody here that your, your legs are crushed from, from that? Yeah, Jennifer, she walked. How many miles did you walk, Jennifer? 9.5 9.5 miles. <clears throat> It's basically a marathon. Where's Fred? Oh, Fred. Fred was skateboarding. Skateboard evangelism is a thing, apparently, and it was awesome. That, my respect for you just went through the roof. Like, your cool factor just exploded. And uh, the guys were, were skating and, and passing out door hangers, but it was an awesome time. And I think together we passed out close to 5,000. It was about 4,700. Uh, door hangers yesterday. So maybe you got one on your door. That was us. We were out there and it was an awesome time. And we've got some available for you today. So we have a couple thousand more and and we'll talk about that at the end of service. But for those of you a part of Joy Church, it's a great way to invite your friends and neighbors. And if you don't want to have a real conversation, do it in the middle of the night. Hang those door hangers. (laughs) Somebody wakes up and they're like, where did this come from? It's a miracle. It's amazing. Well, we're so excited to be coming up towards Easter. Easter Sunday is next week, and uh, that's a, an awesome Sunday. <clears throat> I don't want to jump ahead of today and, and diminish what's happening today, but we're finishing up a series called Irresistible. How many of you have enjoyed this series over the last couple of weeks? And we're talking about sharing our faith, right, in an irresistible way, not kind of an awkward like, excuse me, could I tell you about Jesus, but letting the goodness of God be our life be filled with God's goodness and spill out of us to be a witness for Christ, to share our faith. And uh, so we do a lot of crazy stuff as a church because our mission as a church is to love God, love people, and make disciples, and we want to reach people for Christ. Come on. We don't just come together on Sundays in a movie theater so we can, you know, find leftover popcorn in the seats and eat it. Don't do that. Um, I heard one time that a kid in kids' class, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to because I already started the story. I think it was my kids, just so nobody else worries, but they were like, yeah, they were eating mustard. I don't want to hear the end of that, so... It definitely was my kids. My kids are proud when they find candy on the ground. Jack came up to me yesterday and goes, I found this candy on the ground <laughs> before I could stop him. It's okay. They're building their immune system. But we don't just come together in a movie theater to have a good time on Sunday. We don't just come together to even sing nice songs. We don't even come together to hear messages about God. We're here to reach people for Christ. We're here to share the greatest news that's ever come to this planet, that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to reconcile us to God. Come on, we're, we're here to declare to people that you don't have to be lost and broken and in despair and despondent and depressed and discouraged and any other word that's bad that starts with D. You don't have to be there because Jesus died for you so you could have life and not just life that's natural and, and belongs to this, to this world, but eternal life, the Zoe life, the spiritual life, the, the, the life that belongs even to the age of eternity, a, a certain quality of life. He came to give it to us, so we want to be irresistible. We're talking about sharing our faith. You know, we're getting ready on Saturday to do our second annual helicopter candy drop. 
Yes, it's awesome. You, you want to invite somebody to church? That's a great place to start. Listen, uh, I'd like you to come, and we're going to do this event. We're going to drop candy from the sky. What's not to like about this, right? We're, we're gonna, a helicopter is literally going to drop candy on a field. And, and last year, I think we had 800, 900 kids. It was awesome. I kind of felt like I was in a war movie because I was out there by myself with our volunteers. You know, we were out there and the kids were coming at me and kids were falling and I'm picking kids up. And it was like, get to the chopper. You know, it was this whole thing going on. It was amazing. And no kids were injured in the making of this film. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. And they, were, uh, they, were, they got the candy. But we're getting ready to do that again this Saturday. And we're excited about that. But I remember last year, my house was the staging ground for the Easter eggs. So we had 10,000 Easter eggs that those of you that helped lovingly pack with candy and we taped them. And my fingers were just about bleeding at the end of that week because I think we had personally done about two or 3,000 eggs in our house. Bethany and I were having marriage problems because of the eggs. I mean, it was just, it was taking over our life. And we have three kids. We have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And this is last year, so they were all, well, how do you do the math on that? One year less? Yeah. So Penny's about one and a half. And we had 10,000 Easter eggs full of candy in our living room just sitting there. Now, I want you to think about, put yourself in the mind of a one-and-a-half-year-old precocious little girl who is told, go to bed. Yeah, right. Because she knows all day, she, all week, she's seen us putting candy in the eggs, candy in the eggs. And they're just sitting there ripe for the taking. <laughs> and there's the eggs. And so Penny, she comes down out of bed, put her to bed. She, Bethany, my wife, hears a sound. She goes out and hears a little raccoon, a.k.a. Penny, our daughter, one and a half. And she's into the eggs and there's wrappers around, you know, and she's getting in because she can't handle herself, right? I mean, they're, they're there, right? It's irresistible. And so she, she, Bethany's like, come on, Penny, right? And she doesn't really get in trouble because, come on, I mean, right? It's hard to resist. So she gets her, gets her back upstairs, goes to bed. We go to sleep. Well, then in the middle of the night, Bethany kind of wakes up and, you know, looks over at me and is like, man, I'm so happy I'm married to that hunk. What a handsome man. That's what she was thinking in that moment. And, and, and I was just laying there like, like this, you know, <laughs> a little bit of drool coming out. So Bethany sees a light on, and so she's like, what's going on? So she gets up, and she goes out into the living room, and there, there was a hall light on, but in the dark in the living room is Penny, completely asleep on a cold hardwood floor with candy wrappers completely, I mean, literally uh, all the way surrounding her. She had gotten up in the middle of the night, gorged herself on candy, so we didn't really have 10,000 eggs, because it was 10,000 minus whatever Penny was able to physically consume. And there's Penny asleep on the floor. Why? Because it was irresistible. It was irresistible. She'd been told, don't do it. Don't touch it. Don't go there. Don't come down. It's time for bed. You've had enough. Everything was said to her, but it didn't matter because it was irresistible. Now, let me just say this to you. What does this have to do with anything? What if you felt that way about Jesus? I mean, as a follower of Christ, and I know, I know in a Joy Church every Sunday, there are those of, those of you that are just kicking the tires on this God thing. You're, you're, you're exploring faith. But I want to talk for just a second to those people out here today that, that actually know Jesus. You know, as we, we become Christians and as we kind of move forward in our life, what tends to happen is that what we call our first love begins to diminish. It begins to dim. It kind of goes a little bit cold. It gets a little bit weaker. And it's like the coffee that was really hot and nice when you got it out of the microwave. Come on but you left it on the counter and now you come back and you're like, you still want the caffeine, but it's kind of gross. And that's how we feel about Jesus sometimes. And you wouldn't say that, is it? But that's kind of what comes out of you. 
is that you've had enough or you, you, you've got, you kind of have it figured out. You've cornered this whole thing with Jesus and, and you've read through your Bible and you know the Bible stories and you've been to church and you've heard all the sermons and you've heard all my good or bad jokes. You've heard them all. And you're like, okay, it's kind of getting stale. But let me just tell you right now that the way that evangelism works, the way to share Jesus is you have to be in love with him. You have to have that fresh fire, that fresh love. It has to be irresistible. Let me ask you this question. What would you do if somebody said, hey, you can't come to church on Sundays anymore. I'm taking your Bible away. I'm going to remove you from the presence of God. What kind of a hunger and a fire, what would you do to get to Jesus? Irresistible. Penny couldn't stop herself. I don't blame her. I could barely stop myself. You're like, by the looks of you, you haven't stopped yourself a whole lot. Don't judge. All right. Irresistible. That's how we be effective become effective in our evangelism, not just by knowing the right answers and, and saying it the right way and, and being you know, disciplined and dutiful to go and share our faith. No, it's when you are absolutely head over heels for God, when you recognize the power of the gospel. We, we went over the last two weeks and talked about how good God really is. Come on, forget not his benefits. We went through Psalm 103 and talked about God is so good. He's a forgiver of sins. Come on, he's a lifter of heads. He's an encourager. God God's love remains. Your sin is removed. He throws your sin away as far as the east is from the west. Like we have an awesome God that we serve. Is your love fresh? Now this week I want to get a little bit practical and I want to talk about our part to play when it comes to helping people discover Jesus and bring people to faith and invite people in. I want to talk about being part of the process. Somebody say process. 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 Now when it comes to evangelism, which is just basically a fancy religious way of saying sharing your faith, sharing your faith. When it comes to sharing our faith, it comes to evangelism, we tend to either over or underestimate our part, right? So we might think that, man, I, I, my part is so important. I, I'm going I'm to talk to the person. They're going to pray with me. We're going to get to church and I'm going to do the whole thing. Or we underestimate our part and say, no, uh, I can't really do anything. I have no part to play. And the reality is that th- this is just coming from either insecurity or arrogance, Now, insecurity and arrogance, you might not realize this, but insecure people are actually incredibly prideful. And you go, what do you mean by that? If an an insecure person, they're not prideful. Prideful people are arrogant. No, arrogance and insecurity are just opposite sides of a spectrum called pride. Pride is where I am sort of the center of everything, right? And so if you're very insecure, what you're saying is God can't use me. I'm no good. And it's about you. It's pride. If you're arrogant and you're like, oh man, I'm just going to kick down the doors and win people to Jesus and everything's on me and I'm just so amazing and how I talk and how I do this and whatever, that's arrogance, but it's just part of pride. Arrogance and insecurity are both parts of pride and we can't let those things stop us. If you're thinking, hey, I'm, too, I'm the whole deal here, I'm the big, the big show uh, in winning people to Christ and sharing my faith, you need to back that off a little bit and realize, man, no, it's really not about you hardly at all. But if you're on that other side and you're like, I have nothing to offer, you need to realize, no, I need to believe in God that he's, he actually has made me and created me a certain way and I have a part to play. Amen. I think, you know, we hear these stories about evangelism as Christians and I, I grew up in church, I'm a PK. Uh, and uh, I remember hearing stories, people would come through and they would share stories about evangelism and they'd, it would always be something like this. There I was with my windblown hair <laughs> and a camel cigarette. No, I'm just kidding. I don't I never said that. I just <laughs> threw it in there. But anyways, the preacher always is the hero of the story, right? And so the preacher gets up and they, they say, you know, yeah, there I was. I was on an airplane and I was 
flying to Uganda to rescue orphans. I mean, it's something awesome, right? It's like something everybody's excited about. We're like, yes, you know, this is awesome. And then the, the hero, they, yeah, there I was on the plane and I sat down and there was a, a man next to me and he was drinking a scotch. And I looked over and I was like, do you know Jesus? And he turned to me and he started crying. And then I laid my hands on him and prayed and I led that man to the Lord right there. He was filled with the spirit. 10 years of discipleship happened on a one plane ride because I am awesome. <laughs> am I right? And we hear these stories and we're like, what's wrong with me? I mean, if you're like me, you're, you cringe. I was putting door hangers up and I'm nervous and embarrassed like, you know, get away. Because I don't want to have a human interaction and, I, and I'm nervous. And so I'd hear these stories about evangelism and the hero is like always oh, so amazing and they have so much faith. And then I would think, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why am I not seeing this happen? But listen, guys, those, I'm not saying those stories aren't true or that somebody didn't have a great moment where they won somebody to Jesus or helped someone find faith. They do happen, but here's the thing. That's really not how we should think about evangelism. What we should think about is a process. Everybody's on a spiritual journey. And you and I, as fellow travelers, as sojourners, pilgrims, as we walk our lives out, however many years we are allotted to, to live out our lives, that we get to be a part of other people's life and, and we get to help people take the next step. We get to be part of the process. And we need to know that we're not responsible for the whole process. We're responsible for our part of the process. And I think this is a, a life-giving, encouraging message to share. And especially for those of us that are followers of Jesus in this moment, to realize, hey, I'm not responsible for everything. I'm responsible to do what I can do with what's handed to me right now, where I'm at in this moment. I love this quote from Pastor Andy Stanley. He says, we are never responsible for filling anyone else's cup. Our responsibility is to empty ours. I mean, you could walk away right now and be like, hey, that's good. But he said it, not me. So I got to give you something good so you can, you can write my name on the tweet. You know what I mean? Quoting, no, I'm just kidding. What a great quote. As leaders, he says, we are never responsible for filling anyone else's cup. Our responsibility is to empty ours. What if you lived your life like this? And it wasn't about, well, you know, did, I, did, did this person, did they get to this part of their spiritual journey because of me? It doesn't matter. Are you emptying your cup? Are you doing what you, are, what you need to do? We need to embrace becoming part of the process. Listen to this passage of scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, and I'm gonna read through verse 8. Now, let me set some context here. This is the apostle Paul. He's writing to a church in the city of Corinth that he has planted at a certain point uh, in his life. And this church is arguing about this guy, Apollos and Paul, and they're basically arguing who's better. So it'd be like, these are two leaders that have made an, an impact on them. They're, they're both amazing leaders, both amazing men, Paul and Apollos, and they're arguing back and forth, who's better, who's more important. Well, hey, I, I got saved under the ministry of Paul. I came to know God under the ministry of Apollos, Apollo, team Apollos. It's like team Edward, team Jacob, right? Just back and forth. Sorry, some of you get that, some of you don't. Don't explain it to your friends. If you don't get the jokes, you got to keep coming back and then you'll get the rhythm. You'll figure it out. Who's for Apollos? Who's for Paul? So Paul's writing to these Christians, this church in Corinth, and he's saying, guys, uh, don't think this way. We're not going to be tribal. We're not, it's not about who you belong to. So listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And I want you to listen to this here. I Planted, say planted. planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You didn't have to repeat that, but you guys are awesome. That was good. You're just moving forward. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
In other words, we all had a different part to play in a process, but God is the ultimate one that brings growth. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So Paul's saying, guys, don't argue about who's better. That's not what it's about. We were both playing our part. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of evangelism, in the context of sharing your faith. What if your part to play on a given moment is to be the waterer? What if your part to play is the planter of the seed? If you're all worried about the second step or the third step or the fourth step, you're not going to focus on what you need to do, and you're going you're to interrupt what God wants to do in God working to bring the growth. You know, one of the things that's very encouraging to me as a pastor and just encouraging to me as a Christian is that as much as I want to see people get saved in Eugene, as much as I want to see people get saved at the University of Oregon, as much as I want to see people get saved in our community, Jesus wants people to get saved a ton more. Come on. As much as I want you guys and, and my family and all of us to grow in our faith and mature in our walk with Jesus, God wants that more. And so I'm never going to out-passion, out-worship, out-pray, out-preach, out-desire God. And if I lose sight of that, then I will stop playing my part. I will stop doing my job. I remember when I played soccer in the uh, international soccer. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) When I played rec league soccer, U6 soccer in Medford, uh, I mean, it was amazing. We were incredible. Uh, No, we weren't. We were were total schleps. But we always had a job to play. My dad was our coach, and uh, Kelly Finley's dad was also one of my coach, coaches for a, a few years, and it was awesome. They were a dynamic duo. But I remember playing in that sport, and I was a, a fullback. I was a center fullback, and my one job was basically to slide tackle and clear the ball. I scored two goals in my entire career because when we were beating teams like 17-0, to zero, the defenders got to go play offense, right? So I I scored two goals in my entire soccer career, but that didn't matter. Why? Because my part of the process was to slide tackle and get it out, clear the ball out of the middle, right? Now, what if I, there as a center fullback, decided, well, I think scoring goals is more important than playing defense. I'm going to abort the process, right? Now, when you think about being a follower of Jesus and playing a part, being part of a process, you got to do your part right? Do your part, part of the process. All right, let's move on. I want to give you a couple thoughts about the process. Number one, you do have a part to play. So many people doubt this, that it's incredible to me. And, and we actually have, have structured our church around trying to get this idea out of our heads. So many people, they have an idea about church that it's a, that it's a participant. So it's the worship team, it's the pastor, It's the leadership and they do ministry and then a bunch of spectators. And that is absolutely the antithesis of what we want to be as a church. We don't want to be, and we aren't, and we're not a church of spectators and participants. We are a participation church. Come on, we don't want anybody on the bench. We want everybody in the game. Maybe you're like, well, this is my first week. Hey, guess what? Next week, you want to help set up and tear down? Welcome to the team. We have these environments that we we have. We have environments to help people take the next step. We are all about getting people off the bench into the game. Come on. Because being part of God's kingdom is about getting involved with what God wants to do in our world. And faith is just not fun when it's all about you. It's simply not. It's boring. It's stagnant. It gets old. It gets stale. It's like that lukewarm coffee. When you're serving people, loving people, ministering to people, sharing faith, seeing people's lives transformed, it keeps you fresh. So we're all about getting people to take that next step. You do have a part to play. Don't ever doubt this. 
See, you got to know that when Jesus gave his disciples uh, a job description, it was called the Great Commission. When he was ascending into heaven, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. As a follower of Jesus, the minute you say, you know what, Lord, save me. I want to know you. I want to spend eternity with you. When you make that decision, right away, you are deputized and brought into the kingdom, brought into the kingdom mission. You're brought into the family business. And Jesus says, I have a job for you on this side of eternity. Until God comes back, until the whole show is over and the curtains are drawn and all, all that happens, we have a job to do. We have a mission on this side of eternity and it's to make disciples. My wife and I ran an internship program for about almost 10 years. And in, in working with young people uh, and talking to young people, one of the most significant questions that comes up or the most that comes up all the time is basically, what do I do with my life? What next? Where do I go? It's the question of direction, right? And it dawned on me at some point that we'd always talk about this. Well, how do you hear the voice of God? And how do you find his will for your life? And how do you find who you're going to marry? And all these kind of questions. That's the main one you want to know is who am I going to marry, right? That's the main thing. Um, and as young people, you know, there's oftentimes this hunger and thirst to, to find purpose and find direction, right? And it dawned on me that, that in, in, in dealing with this question of direction, and you don't have to just be a young person to want to know what to do next, that we oftentimes we make it about ourselves and individualize it and say, okay, what's my purpose? But we forget that Jesus already gave you a purpose, not just a purpose. He gave you the purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus, your job is to follow Jesus on his mission into the world. And so what I've seen is as I've encouraged young people and older people and every, everybody, hey, stop worrying about your life and start worrying about the mission of Jesus. All of a sudden, there becomes clarity in all the questions that surround the direction that you're going to go. I mean, this is huge. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, hey, I'm thinking about I've got these issues in my life, marriage stuff, kids stuff, job stuff. Uh, I'm trying to figure out direction. Where do I go? If you will begin to follow Jesus, whether that means to take that first step and put your faith in him, or you will begin to follow Jesus. You're already a follower, but you will begin to serve. You'll begin to engage. You will begin to, to, be, to participate with God and what he wants to do in the world. Your direction will begin to be clear. Come on, shout at me a little bit. Your direction will begin to be clear. What should I do? Make disciples, share your faith. Help people find Jesus. Everything else is secondary. See, we are the mechanism. We're talking about here, you do have a part to play. We are the mechanism, the church of Jesus, the body of Christ. We are the mechanism by which God gets the gospel out into the world. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, in the message uh, paraphrase, scriptures reassure us, no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same, no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls, help God, gets help. I like that. How many of you have ever shouted, God help me? You're going to get some help. But how can people call for help if they don't know how, who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? If you go down to the end, it says, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. So if you say, I don't have a part to play, you're wrong because people need a messenger to bring the gospel to them. They need somebody to say, look, in any way that I can, whether it's with my words, through my actions, through serving, whatever way it is, I'm going to share Christ with you. I'm going to share Christ with you. How can we help? A couple weeks back, I think the very first week of this series, we talked about three ways three ways that you can share your faith 
in person, in a personal way. Number one, you can share your life. This is so powerful. This is why we are always ringing the bell about joy groups. Hey, lead a joy group. Hey, be a part of a joy group. Commit to being a part of a joy group every week. Connect and be in community. Share your life with people because the world is full of people walking around in quiet desperation. Quiet desperation. Last night I was, I was just kind of broken. I, I was exhausted from doing door hangers and I was at the grocery store getting some supplies and for today. And there was a, a young girl, I mean, probably early 20s, if even that, um, obviously homeless, obviously had some struggles with certain things in her life and was dirty and, and gross. And the cashier was looking at her like, you're disgusting. And it just was heartbreaking to me to see this, this lady. And I'm like, God, I want to do something. I want to help her in some way. And realizing there's so many people out there that, that need somebody to share their life. They're lonely, they're broken, they're lost. Come on, and you don't have to save the world. Just love your neighbor. Just love your neighbor. Share your life. Don't forget the power of a cup of coffee. Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Just talk, just tell me your story. I just wanna share my life with you. It's huge. You can tell your story. Your story is irrefutable. If you tell people what Jesus has done in your life, there's no, you don't have to have all the answers. Well, what about the Trinity? What about baptism? What about this? I don't know. But here's what Jesus did for me. It's powerful. Tell your story. You can live your faith. Acts of love and grace and service are powerful. Even yesterday, as we're just going around hanging door hangers, we had some conversations with people, and there, there were some people that were open. Uh, my son Jack went up to, it always works to go with kids, right? Because people love kids. And Jack's really cute, and he had all his superhero regalia on, and he had like every superhero thing going on. Spider-Man, Paw Patrol, Optimus Prime, just rocking it. He's just a superman, Jack, you know? And he goes up to the store and the lady comes out and she's like, oh, a little boy, oh, cute. And I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, this is my adorably cute son. I'd like to give you this invitation to church, right? And uh, uh, you could tell though that it, was, it meant a lot to her that we were out there just sharing, just giving some time, right? Small things make a huge difference. So live your faith. You can do those things in your personal life, but what about playing your part as part of a team? See, this wonderful environment that we have here, here at Joy Church, we have this wonderful team. Everybody, like, look around at each other. This is your team. We are a net that helps catch people, that bring people in and introduce them to Jesus. So I want to encourage you, as a part of the team, have an owner's mentality. Don't think of yourself as a spectator. Think of yourself as a participant. This isn't, this isn't Jake's church. This isn't the leadership team's church. This isn't the worship team's church. This is my church. This is my family. This is my home. I have access to the refrigerator whenever I want. Come on. Like, this is, this is my thing. I'm an owner. I'm, I'm here. Be here on Sundays. I can't, I can't drill this in enough. I, I, I have probably only missed two or three Sundays of church in my entire life. Now, I am a pastor's kid, so the pastor does kind of have to show up on Sundays. So let's be fair there. And I don't want to be pharisaical or legalistic about going to church. But let me just tell you right now, the average person in America, I think, goes to church like 1.5 times a month, which how is that even possible? 1.5. You're like, come half time and you're like, ah, we're done. I'm out. <laughs> you know. But we, we are, we're very capable of binge watching Netflix for three, four, five, six hours. Our service is one hour. When, you, when you're talking about getting ready and everything, maybe, the, maybe it's three hours of, of time that you give on a Sunday morning, you know, between coming, getting ready, coming and leaving, going to lunch or whatever. But, but let me just tell you right now, there is nothing better you can do than be part of a life-giving local church. Now, I believe in this so much that even if you walk out of here today and you're like, I'm going to this other church in town, then be, be a part there and go every Sunday. 
Be a, be a person that's there when the doors are open and doesn't leave until the doors are shut. Why? Because that environment is good for you. It's good for your family. You're growing, you're in discipleship. It's, it's a huge thing. Be part of a joy group. I already talked about that. Um, be a giver. Bethany and I, uh, in our personal life, we, we said right from the very start in our marriage, we want to be generous because why? We know that the principle of giving is that where your treasure is, there your heart is. We wanted our heart and the heart of our family, the heart of our kids to be in the kingdom of God. Therefore, we are put a priority upon being givers. Now listen, if you guys give a million dollars today, I don't get a raise. I don't, the way that our finances work here is my salary is set by a committee. So when I talk to you about money, it, has, it doesn't do anything for me. I want you to understand that. So when I share my heart about money, I'm talking to you as a fellow believer and my heart about being generous and giving to the kingdom of God. Bethany and I, we, we asked Jesus, okay, Lord, what do you want us to give to the Easter campaign to buy, to buy flyers and, and TV commercials? Why? Because we, as followers of Jesus, not as pastors, as Christians, we want to see people come to know Jesus. Therefore, we're generous with our finances. Okay? That's how you can play a part. It makes a difference. Be a servant. Help make the atmosphere amazing. What's so cool is that there, at Joy Church, we have environments that are literally crafted for everybody to figure out where, they're, where they fit in and what their part is. We have Next Track. How many of you have heard of this? Every Sunday over in Theater 2 at 9 a.m., you can join any week, even Easter next week, we're going to run it, Next Track. And you can learn who you are, how you're wired, what your gifts are, and how you can serve within the church and jump on in. Do everything you can to be part of it. You do have a part to play. I love this quote by Dwight Moody. He said, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. I believe that's a word for some people today that you're here and you're questioning, do I have a part to play? What's my role? I don't really fit in. I'm not a preacher. I can't sing. I'm not, I don't fit the mold of what I think being a Christian is. And the Lord wants to say to you today, no, there's a place for you. There's a place in the process. All right, I'm moving forward. We got to beat all the rest of the other churches to the best restaurants. So say, finish on time, pastor. All right, number two, we should plant seeds, not sort them. I want you to think about a farmer. You walk up to a farm, and I know nothing about farming, so this is all theoretical research. But you walk up to a farmer, and there he is at the edge of a field, and it's plowed, and it's ready for planting. And you walk up, and there he is, and he's saying, okay, little... Edward, and this is Josie, and this is Ricardo, and this is uh, Frank, and here's Mark, and here's Julie, and you have all these seeds, and he's sitting there, and he's sorting them all, and he's, you know, encouraging his seeds, and he's, he's thinking about his seeds. No, they don't do that. You'd be like, what are you doing? What do you do with seeds? You plant them, and here's the thing. You never know what seed is going to do what. You never know. Don't sort seeds, plant seeds. Now think about this in the way that we share our faith. A lot of times we're like, well, I've been praying for this person for nine years. And when the Lord opens the door, I'll talk to them. You and them are going to die before you have a conversation. You hear what I'm saying? You're sitting there and you're, you keep polishing the seed. You're sorting the seed. You're figuring out where the best place for the seed is. And you're money, 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 money. You know, you're getting ready. And that's not what we should do. We should get a big old fat handful of seeds and toss them out there and do whatever we can to share faith, to plant seeds. Come on, somebody. Robert Schuler says anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. You don't know. You have a conversation. You talk to somebody. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, all I did was encourage them. All I did is pay for their groceries. All I did was serve them. All I did was invite them to church. All I did was put a door hanger on. You don't know. You don't know how many apples are in that seed. 
Because some, I planted Apollos water, but who gives the growth? God. See, I think as Christians, we need to make space for God to do supernatural things through the ordinary actions that we, we do. I heard an awesome story recently uh, from Marla, who comes here sometimes, and, and Nikki Dasso, and you guys know Nikki. Nikki's over at UO. Everybody just shout at Nikki if you love Nikki. Nikki, we love you. Yeah, she's awesome. There was a huge applause here if you couldn't hear it on, on the video here. So I heard a story from, from Marla, Nikki's aunt, and Nikki about uh, Marla gets uh, exchange students from Japan and China and different places, and, and she tries to share her faith with them. And oftentimes there's, you know, it's just some interest and, and whatnot. And she had one girl that she, Nikki had ended up getting her a New Testament in her language. And it was this really awesome story about getting this New Testament. And they had this girl that they were sharing faith with. And she heard the, she got, you know, heard the, the spiel or whatever they shared. And she ended up leaving the Bible and going back to Japan or wherever she was from. And so Nikki was kind of like, oh, that's a bummer. You know, I got her this Bible in Japanese and it didn't really go anywhere. You know, she didn't even bring it. She just left it here in the United States. But then another student came and Marla was saying, well, hey, would you like me to read uh, some stories from the Bible? Because it was in between kind of when you could start a Netflix show and when you couldn't. So it was one of those moments where we have, you know, 20 minutes, like, let's do this. And the girl's like, yeah, I want to learn. I want to know. And she began to read her the stories out of the Bible, and the girl was captivated. Marla ended up finding her reading the stories even later. She continued to read, and that Bible that was purchased for someone else ended up going to this person who was hungry. Now, if you were sorting seeds, you would say that, didn't, that was a failure. We bought this Bible for this person, and it didn't go anywhere. But that seed that was planted, God knew there was somebody else that was coming. So you don't know what's waiting on the other side of your obedience, what's waiting on the other side of a small act of planting a seed. We don't know which seed will produce fruit. Okay, third thought, and this is the last one here, and then we're going to go eat some delicious food. And I know I talk about food a lot. I love food. I just love it. Okay, number three, help people take their next step. We're talking about being part of the process. Some, I planted, Paulus watered, God gives the growth. We don't need to worry about helping everybody take all their steps. And this is good advice for a lot of things in life. Our job is to help people take their next step. Their next step. Somebody say, next step. Next step. Every person is on their own spiritual journey and everybody's in a different place when Jesus calls them to follow. I mean, this is a huge thing you have to understand. Maybe you're here today, you've been a Christian for 20 years, there's another step for you. Maybe you're here today, you thought you were coming to see a movie and you snuck in here and you're too embarrassed to leave. You're like, oh, I'm stuck in this church. Oh my God, I need to get out of here. And your skin is crawling, but you're kind of interested too because it's weird. It's like you can't look away from a broken bone. You know, it's one of those weird situations, right? You don't want to see it, but you kind of do or puke or something. It's like, I don't want to look, but I do. Anyways, wherever you are, you're on a spiritual journey. You, 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 you're somewhere when Jesus comes and he calls you, I want you to think about when Jesus called his 12 disciples to follow him. Here's Peter and Andrew and John and James and Matthew. We, Jesus didn't call them as one group of 12 guys standing like penguins. And Jesus comes along, hey, follow me. And they're like, yes, sir. And they all march. No, some of them were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. Judas Iscariot, they think that he was a zealot. He was a, like a revolutionary. These guys were all in different stages of life, James and John are thought to have been maybe as young as 13, 14 years old. They're teenagers working with their dad on the fishing boat. Some of the guys were older. Jesus came to these, these men at every, they're all at different stages of life. 
And this is how people are. They're, they're, they're in different places on a spiritual journey. They're in different places physically, emotionally, relationally, intellectually, in every way. And, and so when we think about evangelism and we get mad because we're like, oh, I, I planted a seed and it didn't go anywhere. You don't know where that person's at. You're, you're not there to see them. You, maybe you're the last part of that process. That's awesome. But it doesn't, it's not better being the last part than being the first part, right. right? My favorite book on sharing faith is called Tactics, and it's by a man named Gregory Kalkel. And he talks about in conversation that his job, his goal in conversation is to get people to walk away with a stone in their shoe. And here's what he means. You ask a question. You, you challenge an assumption. You invite someone. You, you talk to someone. And it's not that they immediately like, you know what? I was going 100% the other direction, but now I've completely decided to become a Christian and change everything about my life. No, that very rarely happens, right? I mean, how many of you see a billboard and you're like, you know, I was going to vote this way, but now I saw that billboard and I'm going the opposite direction. No, but what it does is it touches you once, right? Impression. And sometimes there's something that you do see in an advertisement or a billboard or something, and it sticks with you. And that's what he means. Stone in their shoe that they walk away and they're like, yeah, I didn't think there was a God, but maybe there is, right? And they can't get rid of it. Think about us as the, the church that we're this conveyor belt, this vast conveyor belt that people are, are maybe getting on or we're interacting with people and what part are you? You, you might think, hey, I'm the, the starter, I'm the finish point, but you, you might play a different part. But if any part doesn't work, if any part stops doing its part, the whole thing kind of fails and breaks down. I want to throw up something on the screen real quick. It's called Ingalls Scale. We'll throw it up there. You can see it. This is something that talks about where people could be on a spiritual journey. And I want you to look at that and maybe think about where you would fit on there and then realize that every person in the world is somewhere uh, kind of on this scale. If you look at minus 10, it says no God framework. There are people that literally have no framework, no thought process about God. The experience of emptiness, minus nine. Minus eight, maybe a vague awareness of Christianity. This is where a lot of people are at. A lot of people in our community are at level eight. They, they might think, hey, I think there's a higher power, the big guy upstairs, you know, whatever. Uh, and they've heard about Christianity. They maybe have been to a church, but it was lame and people were judgmental, so they didn't go back. Come on. But there's a vague awareness. They kind of know that Jesus is a good guy, that he forgives people and he loved, you know, little kids and stuff like that, right? They have this kind of vague awareness then there's interest in Christianity. There's awareness of the gospel. A lot of people next week, when I preach the gospel message in a, you know, in a really public way, just speaking out the gospel, that they're going to hear for the first time, oh, wow, like God loves me? He's not just waiting to bring the hammer down on me? Okay, that's a little different. What about positive attitudes to the gospel, an experience of Christian love? Number three, an aware of, they become aware of personal need, a grasp of implications of the gospel. Number minus one, challenge it to respond personally, and then zero is repentance and faith. Now, we just walked through 10 steps before a person even comes to know Jesus at all. And I want you to understand that the vast majority of people that you encounter in this community are probably at minus eight or less. And so if we, as a congregation, if we get discouraged because we're like, ah, people aren't interested, no, don't sort seeds, plant seeds, help people take their next step. Maybe for you, you're going to help somebody move from minus nine to minus eight. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible that you could help somebody take a step towards God, take a step towards Jesus? <laughs> Following Jesus is always about taking that next step. Embrace your role as part of the process. Amen.